fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. We're going to key on the word Pentecost today, okay? You may be seated. The Lord bless you. If you do not have a binder, if you're new today and you have not received a binder, if you'll raise your hand, the young men will try to get you one, and hopefully everybody got okay. there. Okay. We'll need two binders. Help us out. Maybe three to help us out here. And I know we've got one in Espanol today. Good. Okay. All right. Well, we're glad for you to be here. <clears throat> Many times people use the term Pentecostal. So I thought today, since last week we went over what it means apostolic, that today we would go over term Pentecostal, okay, and uh, so here we are in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, and this is a most momentous day for the church, the body of Christ. Now let's backtrack just a moment, and let's pick up with Jesus. He is um, come to planet Earth, as you think. Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Once again, the flesh came from Mary. No flesh came from heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? No flesh came from heaven. What took place was the Word that was God was then made flesh. And that took place because the Spirit of the Lord overshadowed Mary and spoke the Word. That's what your Bible teaches. Just as simply yet as gloriously as he spoke the word in the beginning and said let there be light and there was light. He created the heavens and the earth. So in the book of Matthew it records in chapter 1 that that which was conceived in Mary if you please by the spoken word of the spirit and that which was conceived in her was of his Holy Spirit. He said let there be and there was. And so there was no uh, natural or physical union here. God is a spirit. He speaks things into existence. And so God being a spirit, invisible, he spoke the word, and that which was in Mary was by his spoken word. She conceived after the due course of nature. She brought forth the child, the one that she wrapped in her swaddling clothes upon his birth. And then as you read your Bible, he began to grow, that flesh began to grow in grace and in knowledge. And then the time came for his showing. And as a, about a 30-year-old man, or young man, if you please, he began to be shown to the people of that time and place. And he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. He had a plan, okay? And the plan, of course, was to bring you and me and everybody to repentance and to water baptism in his name and to be filled with his spirit. This is what he spoke of when he said you must be born again of water that is baptized in water in his name, Jesus Christ and then be born again of the spirit that is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the plan of salvation that he brought to everybody everywhere. And so there's a search going on for whosoever will, for willing people, willing hearts, willing minds, if you please, that would believe on him as the scripture teaches and instructs us. And once again, the scriptures instruct everybody everywhere to repent of their sins or they're going to perish, to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ or they're going to perish, and to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, or they're going to perish. So it's, it's up to us. We have this opportunity. He has given us the means not to perish. He has given us the means to spend all of eternity with him, world without end, where there'll be no sorrow, no sickness, no suffering, no pain, no death. He will make all things new, wipe away all tears. So it's not a difficult plan of salvation. What's difficult? 
is that we entertain a whole lot of unbelief. We use our five natural senses and we take in a whole lot of unbelief instead of faith. Now, he has given to everyone a measure of faith. and That's what you want to begin to use. You want to use your faith. Don't misuse your faith. Don't put it in things that are fake and phony and plastic. Don't put it in, in uh, things that are going to deceive you and disappoint you. You do not need religion. No doubt many of us have had religion for a long time. But there can come a time in your life where religion can be replaced because religion is from man. It's just man's ideas and man's personal set of beliefs that get built into some type of denomination, some type of organization. And that is a means that the enemy uses to keep people confused and deceived. But you want salvation. You want the salvation of the Lord. You want him to give to you the truth of the scriptures so that you can be born again. That is, that you can have the salvation of the Spirit. So, in going about doing all the things that he did that were so good, and sharing the plans, bringing plowing the ground, getting things ready, getting people's hearts ready. Then there came a time when Jesus was going to be crucified, and he told them, the disciples, that he foretold them about it, and he said, I have power to lay my life down, I have power to raise it up again. And they, of course, many in that time, they thought that he spoke about the temple that was built with human hands, when in reality he was talking about his body. If you destroy this body, this temple, said, in three days, I'll raise it up. And he did. He, the spirit withdrew from that body on the cross, and there was left the flesh to sacrifice the lamb of the spirit that was shown so many times in shadows and types in the Old Testament or previews. So now it, it came to pass. The actual thing took place. And the lamb of the spirit, which was Jesus the Christ, that flesh, that body prepared, and he did die on the cross, the spirit withdrawing from that body. Three days later, the Spirit re-entered that body and raised it up and glorified it and showed that body alive with many infallible proofs, okay? And that's when Jesus, once again, giving them instructions, he told the disciples, he told above 500 of them, he told them to go to the upper room of the church house, the temple in Jerusalem, okay? And in giving them those instructions, 380 chose unbelief. They did not do what he said to do. All the things they had seen, all the miracles, all the wonderful teaching that they had received, and yet that number of 380 plus or minus chose to ignore what Jesus said and went about to do their own thing and go their own way and actually go backwards. And in so doing, then that left about 120. And the 120 they pushed on in faith. They put their faith in the word that Jesus gave to them. And that's what you must do. You must put your faith that he has given to you. You must invest it in his word. Jesus said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. You don't believe any old way. You don't believe my personal beliefs. You believe what his word instructs you to believe. You invest your faith in that. Okay? And as you invest your faith in that, then your faith is going to increase because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The more you put it into His Word and what He's saying, the more it's going to grow. It's just like if you put uh, $10 in a, in a savings account and don't touch it and leave it there, it's going to grow. It, the money will earn money. It, the principal, that's your $10, will earn interest. And so it is. If you put your, your principal faith in Jesus Christ, and it's going, as you continue to read his word and continues to work in your life, you continue to listen to what you're being told by the word of God, then it's going to be the interest. It's going to grow and it's going to compound and your faith will grow exceedingly in him. And everybody said amen. And that's why you want this good word of God. and You want it in, in a chapter and verse. You want it in subject matter, okay? You want this good word of God. And so... Jesus sent them, and about 120 said, we're going to do what he said, we're going to put our faith in what he's saying and his word, and we're going to go to that upper room of that church house, okay? And they did that. And this is what you're reading here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It is momentous, and it is glorious, 
because it is the very day that Jesus chose to give birth to his church. He birthed the church, okay? <clears throat> People, you can go in, uh, into history and you can read how that certain people started certain denominations. You can get their name, and you can get the time in history when they started their particular brand of religion. But if you want what Jesus had, then you go right here to where I've got you this morning in Acts chapter 2. Because this is where Jesus sent them to, to receive the promise of his spirit. And as they went obediently to that upper room of the church house, okay? That was the appointed place in Jerusalem. And, and he ascended up on high, and he was no longer visual to their sight. And now it's going to, everything's going to come through his spirit, his gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, all right? And so the Bible said, and when the day of Pentecost, now the significance that we want to get here is that in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, your Bible was originally written in the language that was common at that time throughout the world, and that was Greek. Now, I don't speak too much Greek, but I'm very glad that it got translated into English, okay? And the word uh, Pentecost literally means 50, okay? 50 or 50th day after the day of the Passover. Now, we have to remember that everything is set here, not in America. Your Bible is not set in America, okay? It was set in the Middle East. Jesus came in the area of Jerusalem and surrounding areas, okay? That part of the world. So when you look at the Word of God, you must remember when it talks about corn, it's not talking about the kind of corn that we nosh on. It's not talking about that, okay? So you have, there are some things we have to learn, we have to teach, so that we can understand what they were talking about, how it was in their day and their time and their part of the world, all right? It had a beginning place. And so when the Bible, they wanted to get it to everybody, the Word of God, then at that time Greek was the language. And so the New Testament was written in Greek, and then, thank God, it got translated and continues to be translated into many, many languages all over the world, okay? So what the significance is, is that the word Pentecost is a Greek word, and it means 50th, okay, or 50. And what that comes from is in the Old Testament. That's Genesis through Malachi, those 39 books. Well, in that's written in Hebrew. And I don't want to confuse you. Almost all of it is written in Hebrew, a little Arabic, but mostly it is it is written in Hebrew, okay? And so we have to, some things we have to learn, how they did it, what they were saying. Well, God gave, through Moses, different feasts. And to bring it just where we're at, one of the feasts was the 50th day after the Passover. Now, you know about the Passover because that's the day that was celebrated when the death angel was going to go through Egypt Pharaoh didn't want to let God's people go, and the devil never wants to let go, okay? He wants to hold on to everybody. He wants to keep you bound by whatever he's got you bound by, whether some people have the most difficult time with smoking or some other form of a drug or alcohol, which is a drug, or maybe they have trouble with gambling, or maybe they have trouble with women, or maybe they have trouble with men, whatever, the, or unfortunately in our day and age, men with men and women with women. All kinds of problems. Their spirits is what they are. And they have come to destroy suicidal spirits. All kinds of terrible things when somebody would shoot their whole family and then kill themselves. Horrible, horrible spirits that are out there, okay? That's because war broke out in heaven. And that's because Satan wanted to be God. And he, he was jealous of, of all the heavenly hosts that obeyed God and everything that God had going on. And uh, so Satan decided that he was going to be God, and he is still trying to be God. And so when he lifted up himself rebelliously and exalted himself above the Lord, and then he began to work on the heavenly host and, and people in the congregation of the, of the angels, some of them, I shouldn't say people, but some of the angels 
in the congregation of the heavenly host begin to listen to Satan and then he drew some of them away and that's where your Bible talked about a third of the heavenly host were taken with the dragon's tail and that's Satan and he's always got a tail doesn't he because that's exactly the same thing he used on when he got down here to earth and used it on Eve in the garden of Eden but the point is that Satan got a third of the heavenly host to follow him and a lot of good that did him he thought he was doing great things and he got kicked out of heaven and he fell to planet earth like lightning your Bible records and so coming down here he set in and so here we've got Pharaoh and he's got the grip on the people of the Lord and they're in bondage they're in slavery he's doing all kinds of bad things to them but God raises up a deliverer as he has always done especially when the people of God begin to pray, when they begin to call upon the name of the Lord, okay? And as they did so, then here enter Moses and Aaron. And as they begin to do the work of God, and we're going to go out and take the people and out of bondage, Satan did not want to let go of them, and he rose up through Pharaoh. And as God began to do his many wonders and signs that he gave to uh, Moses, then the last one, was the death angel because he wouldn't listen to anything else and so the death angel came through and that's when the opportunity was and the instructions came to um, came to uh, the, the Israelites the people of God and said listen you're going to take a lamb and you're going to slay that lamb and you're going to fix that lamb for your meal it's going to be called the Passover because that you take the blood of that lamb and you put it over your doorpost, and then when the death angel comes through the land, he will pass over your house. He will not come in, and he will not take your firstborn. Pharaoh did not believe in that, and Pharaoh did not have the blood. And those in Egypt that did not believe did not have the blood of the lamb. And all of that was trying to show you what would come in this New Testament time in which we live, all right? It was a preview because Jesus, his flesh was the lamb, and he shed the blood on the cross. The point being that Passover was a feast that they celebrated, and the 50th day after the Passover, in New Testament word, became the Feast of Pentecost, okay? And it was the Feast of Harvest and first fruits in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the word, Greek word, Pentecost, or 50th, meaning that 50th day after the Passover, after the feast of the Passover, you will celebrate then the feast of harvest and the first fruits of that harvest. And that's the very day in the New Testament when Jesus had ascended up into heaven. He now has poured out, begun to pour out his spirit as you read here in Acts chapter 2. And let's look at it again. When the day of Pentecost, or the day of harvest, first fruits of the harvest, was fully come. Wasn't on the 49th day. Wasn't, wasn't on the 48th day. It wasn't 48, 49 and a half days. It was when the 50th day was fully come. God is very exact about his word and what he says. So when that day of Pentecost, or that day of first fruits harvest, was fully come, they know who they are from the first chapter they were about 120 the Bible said Peter James John Mary the mother of the flesh the other devout women that's who they were about 120 they were uh, all there in one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a Russian mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat upon each of them and verse 4 said and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They all begin to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? Now let's just suppose that I don't know any Spanish. I know a little, but let's just suppose for a minute I don't know any Spanish. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and spoke through me, and it happened to be that people in the congregation some of them speak Spanish, then they would understand what I was saying, even though I don't understand what I'm saying, because I'm speaking as the Spirit 
gives me the ability to do it. Okay? So as the word goes forth, then the people who speak the Spanish tongue or language, they would understand. Or suppose I was um, of, the, of the language of, of uh, I didn't know the language of French Creole, and I only know a little of that, but that the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and began to speak forth in that language. I don't know, but he knows, and people who speak that tongue or language, they will understand what is being said. And that's what happened on this day of Pentecost in your Bible. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, our own language, our own native language. I told you last week, I believe it was, about the preacher that was praying about where to go, what country to go. He was in South America, and he had been working there, and God gave him a great work, but he felt burdened for two countries. One was in Africa, and one was in Europe. And as he was praying, he could not get the mind of God about where to go. You know, we don't just do what we want to do, not if we want to be in the Spirit, and not if we want to be God's youngins. And we learn to obey the Lord and know that uh, God rules, and he always has and he always will, okay? God's in control. That's why we don't say, we're going to go do this or we're going to do that. We say, si Dios quiere. We say, the Lord willing, <laughs> we're going to do thus and so. And we're not going to have our own way. Now, I had a guy one time that said he was going to fleece the Lord, and he, was, he didn't have any business even trying to fleece God, but he said he was going to do that and uh, about leaving and going somewhere. And so he sat down next to his son one day, and his son said, well, did you get an answer to your fleece? He said, nope. He said, but I'm going anyway. Now, that's when you're in the flesh, and that's when you're doing your thing, and that's when you'll get a beat down just like he got. You know, and I can show you in the Bible where it said he will beat them down. It's right there in the book of Psalms. I love it. We'll beat them down. Okay? But God does that to try to save us. You know that. Trying to pull us out. Not my fault that it takes, that you need a two-by-four to hit you over the head just to get your attention. That's not my fault. Okay? I'm telling you, sell out of unbelief and get full of faith and get, in the, get this experience and get in the spirit. And this preacher was praying about these two countries, and, and a woman came in who from that country where he was ministering down in South America, she came in and she was lost and she did not she was not able to read or write her own language and the Lord filled her with the Holy Ghost that night in the service and she spoke out, as she spoke in tongues being filled with the Holy Ghost, she spoke out in the English language or the English tongue and told him exactly what country to go to so God knows how to run his business and he knows what he's doing. But I hope that illustrates for you how that this takes place. Now, this day of Pentecost was significant and important because in Acts chapter 20, for more than one reason, Acts chapter 20 and verse 16, this was the apostle who said he wanted to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. He was out doing the work of the Lord, but he wanted to get back. It was a big, like, conference time in Jerusalem when they would come together on the day of Pentecost, on the very day of the Feast of Harvest and first fruits, and, and he said he was determined to get there. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 8, the Apostle Paul also said, I will tarry at Ephesus. That was a certain place, like Belgrade, a certain area. And he said, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, until that feast day comes, okay? Very significant word. They knew what that time of the year was. They knew that that was important. To them, okay? It is important to us today because that is the day that Jesus poured out his spirit for the first time for whosoever will. Now, somebody asked the question, there's nothing wrong, it's a good question. They said, Well, didn't anybody ever before have the spirit of the Lord? Yes, they did, but it was by God's sovereign will, okay? But when you hit this day of Pentecost, then because Jesus gave his life on the cross and because he shed the blood, being the Lamb of the Spirit, because of that great sacrifice on Calvary that made it possible, he by that purchased the gift of the Holy Ghost. And now he has sent, after being raised from the dead and telling his disciples and sending them to Jerusalem, to the upper room, and now this great day has come the day of harvest. That's a little significant, wouldn't you think? Because the Lord has begun to harvest 
the earth, harvest people, their souls. He begins to start the church, give birth to the church. And so when he poured out his spirit on this feast day, and as he began to bring in the harvest, bring in the souls into the body of Christ, it was done on the day of harvest or the day of Pentecost or the 50th day after the Passover, okay? And that happening, that taking place, then you want to see the significance. First of all, he started the church, and he started it by his plan of salvation, and he brought in people from all over, and he did it by filling them with his spirit, fulfilling that Jesus had foretold and said it very plainly that in the Old Testament, for an example, Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, he said, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Spirit, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And so he began this outpouring, and that's what Peter stood up on this very day, the first day of the church, with the first sermon, and he began to preach by the Spirit of the Lord to the whole known world and telling them of this and recounting and requoting that scripture that in the last days saith God I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and he went on to give them more prophecy with regards to that and then they begin in hearing that sermon they begin to react in a most faithful with with a faithful a heart full of faith they begin to cry out and they said men and brethren or apostles what shall we do that's when Peter gave to them the plan of salvation. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he said, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay? So, I think I've already explained Passover to you, and we've got Pentecost down. So the, this 50th day, I'm in the paragraph here, this 50th day after the Passover was the Feast of first fruits of the Harvest. It was this feast day that Jesus Christ chose to pour out of His Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. Once again, you have a term that is an old term, uh, and ghost was the same as spirit. That was the way that in their day and their language they spoke. Okay, so don't get scared by that, all right? It's his Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost for the first time for whosoever will. So I started to tell you that many people had by God's sovereign will, they had the, the Spirit of the Lord, okay? But when you came to the New Testament time in which we're living, and that New Testament's time actually begins with this day, right here, Pentecost, because up until then, they were still living under the law. As I explained to you, when people say, well, why wasn't the thief on the cross? He didn't have to be baptized. He didn't get the Holy Ghost. Yes, but he died under the law. And dying under the law put him under the sovereign will of God. But now you come to this beginning of the New Testament time, and that's when it kicks off this New Testament church, the body of Christ, and all those previews and all those shadows and types under the law and from the Old Testament, they are now, as Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy it, I came to fulfill it. So he, as they as they had, as I said some Friday night, I said somebody wouldn't come to church with their husband that's dying of cancer and said they couldn't come because they were going to a workshop on spiritual warfare. And I said, I'm saying to myself, well, you go do your theory in your little workshop and we'll go to church and do the real thing. Okay, so that's what your Old Testament was. It was like a, a blueprint. Okay, it was like a drawing, and, and that's what your Old Testament was. But when you hit the New Testament now, you, uh, beginning with even the end of the law and then the beginning of the New Testament, that's here's Jesus, and he's not theorizing. He's not giving preview. He's not giving shadow and type. He is the very thing. He is the very one. And so when it was the lamb that was slain, all the time, every year, once a year that they had to do that. Now he is the, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of the Spirit, and he will die once and for all. It will, that's why when you hear about people that they want to, every Easter, they want to uh, reenact, you know, the crucifixion. Well, first of all, the crucifixion doesn't go with, 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 with uh, the Easter time. It's resurrection time. 
That's already taken place, okay? But it's not going to do anybody any good to try to put themselves up on a cross and tie themselves to it and march down through a street. That's ridiculous. He died once and for all. And that kind of activity is blasphemy. He did it once, and he's the only one that could do it, and he did it, and that's it. And then he made it possible now by doing that to purchase the gift of the Spirit and to give it to not just individuals by his sovereign will, but to whosoever will. It opened the gate. Another example is when Jesus did die on the cross, the Bible records that there was a veil in the temple, in the church house, if you please. And it'd be just like in the middle here if there was a thick curtain. There was a veil. And on one side, the high priest could minister and he could go to the uh, table of shoe bread and he could go where the altar of incense was and he could go to the labor and he could wash all these different things that took place and the light, the candlestick. He could do all of those things every day and they were to do it every day. And that was again a shadow and a type and a preview in the Old Testament of Jesus is the light, Jesus is the bread, okay? The altar of incense, a place where you could pray and then he, the high priest, could go once a year in two, if his heart was right and he made, first made sacrifice for his life, he could go in to, through the veil, in the curtain, into what was called the holiest of holies. The first place was called the holy place. Beyond the curtain was the holiest of holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of the Lord resided on with, within the mercy seat and the Ark, okay? And the high priest could go once a year in there. But when Jesus died on the cross, then the veil of that temple was cut in half, which signified now whosoever will, everybody can come, not just one guy once a year, but I'm making myself available. All day long my arms are stretched out during this period of time known as grace and the church age that everybody could come. Everybody, poor, rich, smart, not so smart, whatever, could come and take freely of what I'm offering, my salvation. Okay? And so it's important for you to understand that when the time came, and now it's available, and Jesus is now pouring out his spirit on this first day, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. They all begin to speak with other languages as the spirit gives them the utterance. People out in the streets, the whole known nation, are hearing somebody up there, and another one's hearing somebody else, and they're hearing them speak in their language, so they're understanding what's getting said. They're understanding uh, what's happening here, and they're trying, it's, it's, it's noised abroad, and they're, they're excited, and, and they're asking the question now, as Peter gets done preaching, and they want to know, what do we do? Well, if there ever was a time, if there ever was a time to give the plan of salvation, that was the time. And Jesus had them do just that. That now he has ascended and he's giving instructions through his Holy Spirit. And Peter, freshly filled with his Holy Spirit, begins to preach the word of the Lord because the Lord's will was for him to do that. And all the others supported him. They stood, the eleven stood up with him. And as he began to preach and tell them, that's when he gave to them the plan of salvation. Now what I want you to understand is that because this oh-so-great salvation was poured out, that's Bible terminology, on the day of Pentecostal, on this 50th day after the Passover, that the term Pentecostal, thus associating the outpouring or the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the term Pentecost or Pentecostal. So it, when somebody says I'm Pentecostal, what there should be meaning and what they should be saying biblically means that I have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what it means. For somebody to sign a card and shake a hand and say they're Pentecostal is a lie. It's inaccurate. It's not true. Okay? Right from this right here, Acts chapter 2, that's where the term Pentecostal comes from. Okay? It means I have the experience that they, the original church, got on the day of Pentecost as recorded in the Bible. And everybody said, praise the Lord. So you want to understand very clearly that last week we covered apostolic, what it means, and that Pentecost, now you have Pentecostal and what it means, okay? The, there is no 
this is right here in your Bible. You are teaching exactly what the Word of God is telling us, instructing us, that Jesus came with that plan and he set everything up. The reason there was Calvary was so there could be a Pentecost, so that it would produce Pentecostals. So that, and, and I will grant you that you don't have to have the name Pentecostal to go to heaven, but you have to have the experience. You do have to have the experience. You must be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You must be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you are born again of water, that is being baptized, when we put you down in the water, under the water, in that watery grave, the Bible said you're buried with Jesus Christ. When we bring you up out of the water, and we always do, that in a thousand, we always bring you up. When we bring you up and you break that water coming out, then that's when you're born again of water. You're coming up in a new birth. What did we bury? What did we bury with Christ? We buried your old sinful nature. And we buried that because you crucified that nature in your repentance. You said, God, I'm sorry, and I want to die to my old sins and my old lifestyle. I want to die in my flesh. I want to, I want to put it uh, dormant. I don't want it to be alive and active in me anymore. I want to cut it off, and I want to turn from it. I want to turn to you. I want to turn to a new lifestyle. So that which you have, he was crucified on the cross for sin. You crucify your flesh to sin, to your sin. He did it for everybody. He made the sacrifice available for everybody. He died for the sin of the world. You are instructed to repent of your sin, thereby crucifying your own flesh, dying to sin. I'm not going to do those sinful things anymore. And once you've repented of that, then we're going to baptize you in water. And as we bury you in that watery grave with Jesus, then we are burying that crucified individual that you made by repentance. You crucified that. We're going to get rid of that. We're going to wash all that away. Now, what happens in water baptism? The blood does not turn red, okay? Nothing spooky there. The blood does not turn red. It's your faith in the name that you're being baptized in, the name of Jesus Christ. Your faith, through faith in his name, you are washed in his blood because he's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that shed the blood. So there, and, and you have life, the Bible said, through his name. And the life of the flesh is the blood. So therefore, the blood is in his name. When you are baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ, your faith in his name, that's where the blood washes you clean, okay? It, it uh, completely forgives and fully pardons all of your sins, everything, okay? And so you come up out of the water, then you are washed clean, and then uh, the Bible teaches that the heavens are opened over you from that second on, and you're eligible if you will have your heart right before him. Your, order your thoughts and your, uh, your emotions before him correctly, then you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We have had people receive the Holy Ghost in the water, and we all got wet. It was lots of fun, okay? And, of course, not everybody gets the Holy Ghost coming up out of the water, but some do. And I know of uh, uh, an old-time preacher many, 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 many years ago, and he baptized five Jewish sisters in the water. It was not a tank. It was more like a lake. And when they came up out of the water, they all, you ready for this? They all danced on the water. Okay? God's Spirit can do that. God's Spirit can do any good thing. Okay? And I'm not, you don't, we don't seek to dance on water. Okay? We seek to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And whatever God sends along with that, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you will speak in other tongues or another language as His Spirit gives you the utterance, thus making you a Pentecostal, if you please, and associating you with the outpouring of His Spirit that took place here in Acts chapter 2 and has continued all the way to this split second. All right? Sister Colbert, one of our dear departed saints, she received the Holy Ghost in the water, came up out of the water right then and there. She received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It does happen to some, and it's up to you to just exercise your faith along with us as we're praying for you when you come up out of that water. You know, 
some people come up and they just want to wipe it off and get out as fast as they can. Okay, well, I had one woman that she didn't get baptized for the longest time, and I'm a little dull of hearing, and finally, duh, the light went on, and I went up to her after service, and I said, is the reason you're not getting baptized because you're afraid of water? You don't know how to swim or something? She said, yeah. And I said, well, don't worry about it. And I told Bertie, he's here this morning, I told Bertie, you know, he took his little leg off. He does a magic trick with that, you know. I can't get mine off, but he can get his off. And he got in that going down those steps, and I said, Bertie, I said, right where you're at, if you'll just put your head back, I think everything's going to be under the water, and we're going to be all right. And I said, but if you start sliding, I said, don't worry. I said, I'll be coming over this wall, and I'll get you. <laughs> I'll, I'll have you, okay? So I wanted him to feel very certain about that. And that's what I told that sister, don't you worry. I said, you're, you're, you're going to be in fine hands, and we're gonna, the water's not taller than you anyway, and we're going to put you under it and bring you right back up, and the only difference is you're going to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that's a very good difference, okay? So, uh, as we stated, to be apostolic Pentecostal, that's what we should be. When you say apostolic, you're talking about the doctrine, okay? And when, because the Bible said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We went over that last week. So when you talk about apostolic, you're making a reference to the doctrine. When you're talking about Pentecost or Pentecostal, you're talking about the experience of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost just like they did in Acts chapter 2. Now, when Paul uh, went to some people, as a matter of fact, we mentioned Ephesus here. Uh, when Paul had come to that region of Ephesus, the Bible teaches that he came upon some people who had been taught by John the baptizer. And you remember John the baptizer said that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. He had the right spirit and the right attitude. There was no jealousy or ego in him whatsoever. He was all about God and his will and people being saved. And so John the baptizer had taught these people correctly and he had done what he was supposed to do. He was, he was the icebreaker, if you please. And he was preparing the way to make the paths of the Lord straight. And these people had heard John and were converted to the teaching and the preaching that he gave to them. And now 20 years or so has passed by from that time. And here's one born out of due season, the Apostle Paul. And he comes upon these people. And there were about 12 of them. And he asked them two very important questions. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you started believing? And they said, we haven't heard about that. Well, they must have missed John's lesson that day because John did say that I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Uh, they missed that lesson. I hope you all got your lesson. We'll give you a copy if you don't. Okay, so here we are 20 years down the road, and they're still going on on, on the scheme of what John told them. And, uh, and, and so now... He asked them the question, the Apostle Paul, he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you started believing? They said, we haven't heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said, well, unto what then were you baptized? And then it came out. They said, well, we were baptized under John's baptism. And that's where the Apostle Paul picked up right from there. And he said, well, John truly told you to believe on him which should come after him. That means believe on Jesus who's coming after John. And he said, uh, so you should believe on him which should come after him, which is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, no fuss, no argument, I've always been this and I'm always going to be there. It was none of that. Okay? They simply said, well, okay. And he rebaptized them in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of all of their sins. And when he laid hands on them and prayed for them, they received the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said they spake in tongues and they prophesied. Now, once again, sometimes God will send a little extra blessing on you, a little extra manifestation of his spirit or the gift that is with his spirit, okay? But we're not praying for that. We're praying for the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if God sends any other bells and whistles along with it, we're thrilled about it if it's biblical, and that is, okay? But uh, you never want to lose sight of the subject matter and what is necessary. 
Jesus said you must be born again of water and of the Spirit or you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. He made it clear that it was necessary. It was a requirement, okay? And all your subject matter. When we receive the Holy Ghost, that's the initial biblical sign, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives us the utterance, okay? And everybody said praise the Lord. Very important to stay with chapter and verse. And very important to get your subject matter so that you will not err concerning the Scriptures. Everybody said praise the Lord. So once again, apostolic refers to doctrine. Pentecostal refers to the experience of Acts chapter 2 receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not only recorded in Acts 2, but that's where your main example is in your Bible. That's your chief example there. So we have the doctrine and we have the experience, okay? And getting this experience and preaching and believing this doctrine is what we as the church are to do. And everybody said praise the Lord. And everybody said hallelujah. All right, you can stand with me this morning. The young people are coming in. God bless you. Let's give God a big hand together, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's take a moment. Let's worship the Lord. Let's lift our hearts with our hands. And let's praise Him, shall we? Thank you, dear God. Thank you for your goodness, your kind and loving and holy spirit, your great and mighty power. We love you and we need you, Jesus. We need your glory and your grace. We need your truth to touch our hearts. Open our understanding to it, I pray. Beautiful and great name of Jesus. Our Father, yes. who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father.
We praise you, dear God. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. It's recorded in the scripture when Jesus told above 500 to go to that tomb.